My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. Our first issue is available now and shipping, as well as our second issue launches live on Kickstarter this upcoming week. Anyone listening to this episode of the podcast can use code PODCAST at checkout to receive a 15% discount on our website on issue one. Today, I am joined by Pedro Ruiz. Pedro is a human-centered designer and deep learning engineer specializing in generative artificial intelligence. He strongly believes that designing joy as the centerpiece and guiding principle is the key to any venture success. An optimistic, practical futurist with a firm belief in building a better future through abundance, he often finds himself helping companies identifying converging exponential technologies they can leverage to radically transform the world. He's the founder of Iterate Labs, an innovation studio that specializes in exploring the ethical application of artificial intelligence to amplify human potential. Pedro's latest research centers on the collaboration between humans and AI for creative endeavors. He explored this topic during his first TEDx talk titled, Human Plus Machine Isn't the Future, It's the Present. One of his passion projects is composing and publishing music as the human-AI duo Abundant Sound. Pedro is the primary global ambassador for Singularity University's chapter in Austin, Texas, where he helps local companies leverage exponential technologies to transform from a scarcity to abundance mindset and generate positive local impact. Now, there are certain points in this episode where we do go quite deep into the weeds, but I promise if you stick around and listen, you'll learn something very interesting. So without further ado, here is a fantastic conversation between myself and Pedro Ruiz. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Pedro, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. Of course. Uh, I start off every single podcast by asking the same question, which is what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, um, first thing. So ever since I was young, I think it's my grandparents instilled this into me. And it's uh, it's always what is something that I believe to be true that is probably wrong. Mm -hmm. I like that. So do you think about this every day? Like it's like, yeah. is this like, okay. So what is something recently or some kind of epiphany recently that you came to with this thought process? Oh. Okay, so it probably has a lot to do with what I'm working on, but um, the idea that creativity, uh, so one of the biggest one is exploring building neural networks to mm -hmm. to build things that we define as creative uh, and kind of realizing that creativity for most of my life, I thought of it as this like serendipitous thing, kind of like inspiration came and realizing that it's more about being in the right conditions and the right mindset. And then kind of like that's where like creativity happens and it's not accidental, right? Um, and that that I think was one of the biggest shifts probably like for a year, but I, it keeps refining, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. but it's, it's I think mainly kind of like, it, it's one of those ideas that has really grasped me and I keep thinking like, so what else? What else, right? Like what is creativity? Why do we consider this creative but this not? And uh, it's usually very infectious because 
the question that comes to mind, I usually bring it up to others because that's I think that's the nature of humanity, kind of like leveraging other people's brains to deal with our own struggles. Right. But but I mean, in my mind, that's what building a neural network is. Right. It's like you're 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 leveraging different ideologies and systems and concepts and I mean, and nitty gritty lines of code and, and simple understandings of basic concepts and syntax to be able to understand and determine a system, right? Correct. Um, so so, before, so just, just to give the audience a uh, understanding of what you spend your time on and to, to kind of be, begin to build this foundation as we dive deeper into this conversation. And I, I, I'm warning the audience now, I guarantee you, Pedro and I are going to go deep into the rabbit hole at least a few times, but I promise you, if you follow us in, you're going to have some fun. Uh, <laughs> so um, how would you describe the work that you do right now to your eight-year-old self? Eight-year-olds, okay. Um, I think the simplest way is I poke holes at the, at the convergence points of technology and ask, what if? I think that's the best way that I could describe it because especially as an eight-year-old, I think that the best questions are the ones that prompt you like, okay, tell me more. Uh, so that would be where I would leave it at my eight-year-old self and just like let him just go choose which rabbit hole he wants to go down on. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so so what first got you into like this this love and this current kind of, expanse you find yourself deep within like was that was there someone that introduced it to you did you just discover it one day on the internet or like did you watch a documentary or, or listen to something like what what was the what was that seed so ooh. so back in 2016 i it was one of the first times i was uh, i went to austin texas mm -hmm. and there was an event at capital factory and i had been learning how to program iOS apps and did some web applications, just starting to get my feet went to programming. And I went to this uh, talk that someone was coming over and they talked about machine learning. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Wait, <laughs> I can make a program that can learn things without me explicitly teaching it. And that yeah. just blew my mind. And it, really took me down kind of like questioning if I had been wasting my time because um, mm. I was around for when Swift came out for Apple and iOS and I was like oh I'm one of the first people learning how to program this but I still felt like most of the programming I was doing was very self-contained and it it was limited by my understanding of the world at the time when I wrote it and that's one of the mm. things that I felt like machine learning was really Good, because it could go well past what I could understand at the time. Yes, and and I think this reminds me of something Naval Ravikant says about programming, which is that like programming is really thinking. Like the people that out there that still don't understand programming or what it is, like you are basically training a thought process into a system that at this point has no true sentient thought. Correct. You know. Um, and some some believe, you know, I, I believe in the the immense power of AI, but I, I think people just think that it will jump and skip down this road and suddenly it'll be writing its own code and making its own decisions. But, you know, we haven't even modeled a neuron yet. And like, you know, a human brain is, is billions and trillions of these things networked together after it's a wetware object, right? It's something that has formed and evolved 
using a system so complex that we can't even begin to understand, right? Um, but utilizing these ideas and these systems allows us to do, I think, be better people and make society better for everyone. Right? Yes. So I think that the, one of the things that fascinates me about like machine learning and the AI is that a lot of people don't realize how good humans are at pattern recognition. So one of the first examples that I heard about like the complexity differences between different neural networks was it's very easy, for example, to build a neural network that can tell you if you're looking at a picture of a bird. Mm. But the difference between that and having that same neural network be able to tell you what kind of bird it is, is orders of magnitude apart. Yeah, it's logarithmic, right? It's it like, is. It's two and to it's, the power of 10. And that's what I think most people miss. Like that, that's a miscons mm -hmm. common misconception. And it kind of like, if people just extrapolate kind of like, oh, this is what's going to happen. And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of like people talk about like, oh, Roomba's having like insect level intelligence. And you, when you look at Rick yeah. Kurzweil talking about the singularity, like we are still, well, we're, we're getting closer, but it's, yeah, we're very far away from any kind of those like doomsday, like sentient, uh, algorithms but but also i i do believe that you know this isn't something that we should just go into blindly and throw a ton of money and computing power at because as, as as beneficial as i think ai can be i do think that there is eventuality where you know just like programming right if if someone writes code to be destructive it's going to be destructive right you know it's 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 very much the eye of the beholder Right. And so I, I do think that there is, you know, as, as a society and especially in the tech culture, we've we've run in the opposite direction of ethics and a lot of different things. And I think that AI is bringing a lot of these conversations back uh, and they're important conversations to have, because I think as society, we have been running away from them. But I'm really curious, you know, what, what are your thoughts in, in terms of like, how should we approach this this ethics conversation that seems to come up so often, especially with AI? You know, like what, what is the, the, cause, cause at the end of the day, it's, it's a computer program. So it needs to know at the end of the day, what is right, and what is wrong? Like what is one and what is zero, right? So how, how do you recommend, or what do you, what do you think is the best kind of path forward in, in terms of understanding and, and articulating this? Okay. So I'll take this from two perspectives. The first one I think is the one that I talk about most often. And the second one's going to be the one that I usually talk more in academic circles. So the the first one is I'm going to talk about it from I don't know if you've heard William Gibson he's a sci-fi writer mm -hmm. kind of like the whole concept of like the future is already here it's just not evenly distributed so in that same way like we've already dealt with a lot of these ethical dilemmas and there's white papers and kind of like everything you see Midjourney like Dali ChatGPT all of these technologies that are coming to a commercial format have already been discussed in academia. So even though yeah. you're seeing some of these ethical conversations happening, like academia has already dealt with a lot of the kinks of it. Uh, but it's the same way that any startup, like no plan survives first contact with the customer. Um, same thing happens. And if it does, it's not gonna last long-term. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think that th that's the first one, right? Like ethics is a social concept, right? Like until you get it in the hands of more people, uh, you're going to see a lot of these things pop up that you couldn't have um, foreseen. So 
for me, I think that instead of dodging around like things like bias, I think that the best models are the ones that you deliberately declare the bias on them because that tells you what it should and shouldn't be used for. So declaring the limitations and having people understand like this was built through a transformer or this is a diffusion model. And that way, if you understand the limitations of it in very simple terms, you're better able to understand how things affect you, right? Like, what is it about? Like, should I build in guardrails around um, what kind of user content is going to come into this? Or I'm going to have you sign a bunch of agreements. It's really interesting how, like, for example, when it comes to, like, problems with identity theft, like... Microsoft just published a research paper where I think it was like 15 seconds of someone's like voice fingerprint, you could replicate their voice. Okay. Wow. That That is something we have, right? And the yeah. thing is then, okay, what happens with that? Because as you talked about before, it's this can be used with malicious intent. And the idea of risk over safety is something that should be very carefully balanced because if we're afraid of everything we're never gonna advance as a society right so obviously you need to be willing to tread the waters carefully obviously but like you need to be able to take some risks and kind of like there's a the age-old meme of like this is why we can't have nice things um but those things teach you a lot about how society will evolve it so that's the first one i kind of like that declare your biases and go for it now the second one for me is probably the one of the more controversial takes on the way I look at AI ethics. And that is, it is not the creator's responsibility mm-hmm. for what is done with your tool, right? So I think yeah. it's, if our society, uh, what historically humanity has been pushed by um, those few daring creative people that think outside the border, right? Like the, 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 the Edison's. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like the Nikola Tesla's the Yeah. So like you need to be able to walk on the edge. Right. So yeah. the thing is, how do we better connect these rebels so that yeah. they can actively be a part of that conversation and they can steward mm-hmm. it, not as an individual, but it becomes a part of society. So oftentimes we tend to look at innovation. We look for this narrative of a hero's journey of like, I want to be able to pinpoint it to a single person. But I think the biggest example of this is Bitcoin and Satoshi Nakamoto. And kind of like yeah. this idea, like Satoshi, as far as we know, we, we don't know if it's a group of people, a single person or whatever, but the, it's, it's, it represents the idea of there isn't that star figure that we look up to and ask them, right? There's not, this, is res- this person's responsible. It would have been an easy target for governments to go after them for like uh, misuse of Bitcoin for criminal activities and such. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that as a, we need to look at all of these innovations as societal tools for abundance. And that has a lot of words into it. But I think that the main thing is that we as humanity should steward our future together. And the only way that we can do this is if we bring the most amount of people into that conversation so the quicker we can get these tools into the hands of as many people as we can that conversation stops being about the researchers who did it and you don't have that jurassic park 
idea of like the we should have stopped and asked like whether we could yeah like it's should we instead of like can we uh because i think that we will inevitably run into a lot of ethical pickles but we can solve the same way that we got into those problems we can sort them out and figure them out rather than being afraid and trying to regulate because our current all of our social structures were developed in a local and linear uh world right like previous generations you didn't see much change from when you were born your your life wasn't that different different from your parents and your grandparents but if i just think about uh my life like i've seen so much change and i can't even imagine or predict even though i'm i'm in within the ai industry i can't predict i'm probably the worst person to predict what's going to happen with certain technologies yeah so something you said really reminded me of something intelligent is like the model where those who create it should not be responsible for what happens with it which is like the utility approach yeah right it's like if if Verizon's selling a phone network and you use it to sell drugs and do some very bad things with it, like that's not their fault, you know? Um, just like I believe that like, I, I think I think I'm, I think it's from a podcast with Joe Rogan and Naval Ravikant where they talk about the fact that like social media should have viewed themselves as utilities from the onset, yeah. right? They're not responsible for filtering. They're not responsible for cleaning it up. They're responsible for saying, hey, you know, you send us legal notice, we'll take it down. If it's against like a, a very obvious law, like it's about violence or torture or you know one of the more terrible things, and obviously they'll take it down because that's illegal. But like otherwise, you know, we we stay out of it. And I think because these companies tried to become the arbiters of truth, then they ran into problems, right? And I think it, and I think you you bring up a very interesting point, which is like this. It's this idea of like justice is a social concept, right? Like the concept of what is right and what is wrong, which is I think what got us into this whole conversation changes, right? Different cultures value different things and what is right and what is wrong. Not only is does it change between cultures, but over time, it also evolves and changes. And mm-hmm. like one of the things that I'm most afraid of is kind of this idea of people who idolize the idea of algorithmic compliance. Right. And having like an algorithm decide for things. I think Amazon, there's been a lot of fire for Amazon deciding like who who gets fired and fulfillment centers based on productivity alone and no human kind of being like the did you get hurt? Are you depressed? And a lot of other things yeah. that it's like we're not just numbers, we're human beings, right? Or it's not just we're not a, a series of numbers and metrics. But we've assessed all of human existence and evolution to this point by assessing numerical grades. Like that's what school is. That's what that's what testing is, right? So I hear that argument, but at the same point in time, I'm like, you can't go through your entire life and have grades and things assigned to you. And then suddenly be like, oh, I'm a human being. You can't assign me value based on how much output I have. It's like, that's literally how our, our society is built, you know? So... I think that's one of the first things that is going to change um, in the next decade dramatically, mm-hmm. which is we used to value authority, right? And that's the yes. whole idea of being able to have objective measures and we test it. The difference, the contrary uh, to judging things based on authority is emergent systems. And I think biology is one of the best examples and our teachers for emergent systems, which is you value every single uh individual you presume it that it possesses unique intelligence or features that will benefit the group right 
that's kind of like how uh, Chernobyl is, I think, a great example of um, a huge change, a huge sudden shift in something led to um, natural selection of certain uh, features that just led to survival and kind of like the Chernobyl dogs and kind of like how melanin played a role. And that it's it, it, that I think is one of the things that as a society, we need to start thinking about everyone has a voice and a perspective that is unique and is valued. So it's not about kind of like the the typical boardroom thing of like, what does XYZ person who has doesn't have a background in whatever we're talking about have to add to this conversation, right? It's rather like, hey, weird thought or weird idea or a stupid idea, right? Like, how about we do this? Those things are, those moments are going to be the things that we need to start valuing a lot more. Yeah over kind of this idea of like the the highest per person opinion and like they're always wrong right like because you're too close to the problem you're too close to it and i think that that's one of the things that if you look at how schools are scrambling right now to the point that they they rushed chat gpt and open ai to to through their product now they came out with the checker for oh was this generated by ai it's because you're scrambling back into like we're measuring the wrong things. The signal is there, right? That weak signal of it's no longer about writing an essay about this, right? It's more, can you articulate thoughts? Can you have a conversation right. about this topic and come to what, what do you think? Not what does the internet say? Cause that is abundant. Can you create something new that no one else has thought of before? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know I know you talk about the word abundance a lot and it's something that you believe is is the not the end all be all, but it really is the solution, right? Like abundance is is the way, correct? Yeah. So the 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 way that I the reason why I emphasize this a lot is uh so actually like Peter Diamandis is one of the the people that I that I attribute a lot of the my shift in X, X Prize, right? Yeah, X Prize and Singularity University yeah. and a bunch of whole other things. <laughs> um but one of the main things that Peter talks about and really changed me is most of our models of thinking are based around scarcity but the thing is once something becomes abundant it changes completely the way you look at it right so think about metering internet if you think about the way you use internet at home wired broadband internet you don't have to worry about oh i'm i have like 20 tabs open i open this link and it's not that i just close it versus how you use internet on a metered mobile plan that gives you a good, I think that's a very relatable way of thinking about like scarce versus abundant. And yeah. there's things like, for example, energy abundance, and you can go the whole Michio Kaku way of like, that's why energy is the best uh, measurement for kind of like what kind of civilization we are. But just abundance breaks most of the business models we have. And in that same way, I think AI is probably going to be one of those foundational technologies that is going to make a whole bunch of things abundant and Absolutely. the impact and the paradigm shift that that's going to bring upon i think we still don't know and i would probably tell you run away if someone tells you that they know exactly how things are going to play out because all the experts in the field that i know are like i have no idea this is a steve jobs and the ipad kind of moment of like the yeah who would have known this this would come up for like a tablet 
and like the app store yeah. as a platform and being able to just distribute that way. Or, I mean, I mean, we could go on the Steve Jobs tangent all day, but that, <laughs> I, 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 no, seriously, like I am an ardent supporter of him because he inspired me when I was young to do what I do now. And if you look at total societal bets that one person has made that have impacted so largely an entire ecosystem of products and systems, like it's hard to put anyone in the past century above Steve Jobs, just with music alone, just with the, the, you know, continued expansion of cloud-based uh, systems and regard in regards to like, you know, the, the iCloud and the app store. When I first came with iCloud, I was like, I get it, but like, why can't I just store it on my computer? Right. And most of us were like, well, that's fine. And then he saw the vision of like, you don't want to store it on your computer. That's not the point of it. You want it to be everywhere because if it's everywhere, it's also nowhere and you never have to worry about losing it and you have secured access. And like, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole myself, but like going off what you said, this understanding of abundance and, and the way that people need to think about AI in my mind is that if, if, if you, if I, if AI scares it probably means you don't understand what it is or you're listening to the wrong people talk about it. Yes. Right. And the people that are talking, you're probably listening to you probably don't know anything about AI. You know, the, the talking heads on the news media know nothing about AI, you know? Um, so actually off that, let me, let me ask a question off of that. So if someone's listening realizes that, Hey, I really don't know a lot about this subject. Where does one start? Like where, where would you, where would you tell someone to, to say, this is the first place you go to start learning more about everything related to this crazily expanding field oh god about ai in particular or or any yeah just just because i i think people want to learn about ai but in my mind in order to understand ai you have to understand so many more counterpoints or counterparts and the things that came before ai and what can come after AI. you know Ooh, okay um, so there's a keynote from peter diamandis uh south by um i'll link i, it can, I can look up which year it was from no, it's okay. I'll I'll link it below in show notes so everyone looking can Perfect. just look up. I'll type it in the South by Southwest Peter Diamandis yes. keynote. So I think uh, one of the main things that the, the main thing that they need to understand is the difference between linear and exponential. And one of the, the examples that for me is forever ingrained in my mind and I think it's it, it overlaps and, and it's technology agnostic, right? So when you think about if you if I were to tell you every step you take is a meter if I tell you, hey, where are you gonna? How much distance are you gonna cover if you take thirty steps? What would you answer? Thirty. Okay. Now, if I told you that every step that you take, it's double of the previous one, and I'd ask you to take thirty steps, how much distance would you cover? Still thinking that the first step was a meter. So it'd be 30 factorial, right? Um, I'm going to pull up my calculator right now. <laughs> I can't do, I can't do a factorial. But just out of the, out, out of yeah, like... 2.65 times 10 to the 32, which, which is more than this number of stars in the sky. Right. Uh, <laughs> so good point. the, yeah. the quickest or like the kind of like the party trick number on that is it's over a billion meters, which is over 26 yeah. times going around uh, the circumference mm -hmm. of our planet. And that really gets you thinking into like the way that our brains evolved, kind of like our hardware evolved over a long period of time. We haven't had a hardware, well, sort of a software upgrade, but really like we have a very old um, hardware that evolved in a very local and linear context. 
So the yeah. way that this rate of change, the 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 way that we process it is linear. Like your natural way of thinking and processing things is linear. That's why it's easy. Like oh, thirty steps, one meter each one, thirty. That's simple. But if I just tell you like thirty exponential steps, it's like you went twenty six times around the world. It's yeah. like take a second to think about that. It's really hard to to just imagine like large numbers, right? Like that kind of distance, like it's wait, what? How, and then if you can think about like how long would it take me to walk that and how often would I have to rest? And that is one of the, the fundamental things is that currently technology is at a point where it's outpaced our ability to understand it at the rate of change. And that rate of change is accelerating and it will continue to accelerate. And I think if they take anything out of any technology is that's the main takeaway, right? Now, mm -hmm. given that we're playing catch up, but that doesn't mean that you can't change the way that you analyze and you read things. So if you ever hear anything right. in the news or talking about anything, go back to the question that I said that uh, I think my grandparents really instilled. And it's that that came from uh, whenever I read a book, my grandpa, I remember he, he used to tell me like, uh, why are you so excited about, right? And I used to tell him like, oh my God, I just read this book and I learned this and this and this and this and this. And he was like, okay, now stop. What about <laughs> that you read do you disagree with? Because mm. he said that in the, it is not the, me, the degree to which we agree with other people that causes change and really creates growth, but it's in that 1% that we disagree with, that's where that innovation and that conversation happens. And that's one thing that as a species, we are uniquely qualified to do. That's what has yes. turned our adaptation. That's what makes us different from most of the, the rest of organisms that we know that exist in the planet. So that alone tells me that we are built to be resilient and adaptive. So whenever they see any technology and they feel like, oh, I'm being threatened, it's what is it about it that it's being threatened? It's, it's just being redefined. And we've gone through a couple of these revolutions before. Uh, kind of yeah. like just a slight paradigm shift. The thing is that you used to have a couple decades, a couple years at minimum to adapt. Now it's, if you think about it, like Midjourney came in out in beta early last year. Yeah. And then by the end of the year, it had taken the world by storm and we had like people submitting, Midjourney made artwork to art competitions and like judges being and talking about it, even just between the After time that I gave them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now when you think about like ChatGPT coming out and you have Claude from Adept and you will see more and more of these tools that I've read papers based on the like the underlying algorithms that have been the, the biggest paradigm changers, namely like the fusion models and like transformers. But mm -hmm. we could sort of see wh what we could do with these, but it's until you put in the hands of people that you start seeing that rate of change really pick up. Because the creator will never be able to predict how it goes. And I think that the Lumiere brothers and kind of like moving pictures, I don't know if, if you, you know, kind of like the whole mm -hmm. timeline and how they were like, oh, it's a fat. And kind of like the first movie, people saw the train and they created a stampede because people generally thought the train was going to come out of the screen and like go over them. Where's the train coming from? That I think really puts it to a perspective. We're, we're in that point again, right? We're in the point where it's, the whole idea of moving pictures and how it took like over a decade for like the 
the zoom in to happen because someone thought like, what if we don't have to put the whole like play? What if I can just highlight this part? I forget the name of it, but it's kind of like it's the I think it was a kitten and a girl's hand. So I remember there, there was a conference where uh, the speaker actually played the clip and you see it today and you're like, yeah, duh, right? There was an industry, yeah. but just the whole idea of the zoom in took 12 years to happen. Um, and I think that's really a testament to how little we know and yes. how we overestimate the way we understand how much we understand about the, the world around us. I think that one of the yeah. most dangerous things is obsolete ideas that are actively counterproductive. And it's, we're very much, it's, we're, we're inclined as society. On politics. Yeah. yeah I mean, to think about it. Yeah. We're, we're inclined as a society <laughs> to look what's next, yeah. what's, what's next. But in reality, it, the ability to examine what do I know and be able to articulate, this is what I know, this is what I believe, before you start to navigate new ideas, new perspectives, that I think is one of the the biggest threats beyond the AI and stuff. It like technologies will come and go. We if if you ask me to predict like ten years, I'd be like that. I have no idea. Five years, eh. mm -hmm. this year, maybe in a couple of months, I can sort of tell you. Oh, yeah, these things are coming. Five up. weeks, yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure. but yeah. the thing is, we don't uh, know. We don't know. But that's not the dangerous thing. It's we don't know what we know. Like we don't actively think about that's a fair what point. is it that yeah, we don't know. <laughs> no, we, we don't all, we, we need to all agree. And I think that this is important. It's um, so it all comes back to this concept I hold dearly where it's that if, if I'm debating a topic with someone I know or I, someone I don't know, if someone is unwilling to change their mind, given new information, I will not start the conversation. Because like at, at very least, you can't even at a baseline level agree upon the set variables right the 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 stasis like the what what is happening there and and you you come to a point a lot of us are hurtling through space in our lives and really failing to continually remind ourselves of what we actually know and what we're actually good at yes you know because a lot of us know the things we do or the the past wrong that aren't helpful aren't actually what we should be on we just choose to ignore it you know we we're just by we yeah so it all comes back to so just just one more time. What was the what is the phrase that you think of every single morning when you wake up? What is something I believe to be true that is probably wrong? So imagine if everyone thought about that once a month. How how much better do you think society would be? Ten X at minimum. So the so thing is it, this, right? So if you think about we learn a bunch of things. Think about babies, right? So my sister mm -hmm. recently had a baby. And I've Congrats. thank you. I mean yeah. <laughs> like she's been it's 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 a struggle. And it's made it's put oh, a it lot is. of things into yeah. perspective, right? Because I think about like how is this baby learning? Especially like as a deep learning engineer for me, like it is fascinating. Like I wrote a lot of Ray Kurzweil's um uh, like papers on kind of like building artificial neurons and stuff, but it doesn't compare to kind of like seeing this baby navigate the world. And when we think about, mm. there's so much knowledge that we don't articulate, right? Yes. You understand kind of like, what's the role of X, Y, Z? Who is this person? Like, are they someone I should respect, fear, love? 
And you start forming this idea of how the world works. But if you ask most people to articulate how the world works, they are going to struggle because they're going to realize that most of the things that they that they operate and they navigate the world and their lives through, they can't actively articulate kind of like, this is good, this is bad. Kind of like you, you began there with AI ethics. And I think before going to AI ethics, it's like, what are the origins or the sources of what I believe to be true? And without going too far in history, right? Like at a certain point in time, uh, it might be, it, it's it might be hard to accept it, but things like slavery were completely normal and it was okay. Mm -hmm. So no one questioned it. It was it was just it was what was expected. Yeah, I was grew up with it and they died with it. You know, and when Which, you think about something like that, is how long did it take and how many like it, it's really slow to develop. And I think that our society. And when you think about, I, I'm glad you mentioned kind of like social media and kind of like thinking of them as like a platform and, and that town, public town hall is because the idea of virality and kind of like what a lot of people aspire to and a lot of these algorithms, all they're doing is they are in, it's attention seeking, right? It's an attention economy. And when you think about it, it's you run into a lot of problems around like the tyranny of the majority, right? Just what is the that idea that a lot of people engage with, be it that it's, I love how Peter calls it, like any news, which is the Crisis News Network, uh, mm. short for CNN, <laughs> the short form being like CNN. And it's, we're engaging our amygdala, right? Like our brain mm. develops and it's kind of like, what is dangerous? Kind of like the more people are talking about it, that's a signal that we should pay attention to something. So if you go back to questioning and understand kind of like, what is something I believe to be true that is probably wrong, really gets mm. you into my grandpa's point of as exciting <laughs> as the book was is there something yeah. that you question are you just taking yeah. it as truth are you just taking that as mm. like this is my new axiom right like this is the way i'm gonna look at the world i'm gonna and instead thinking about like do i really agree with everything i just heard right is, is is there like something that i'm like you know what that's very interesting but this little thing i think it's different mm. But the best books in my mind are the ones where you, you can't read through them. You have to, you get to a point and it makes you stop and think. And you're like, yes, e either because it opens up a new door or because it closes an old one or because it makes you question the door itself. And maybe you ask, well, even is a door, right? Um, and and I, think, I think something you said is important. And I got in this, so my girlfriend uh, works in a nonprofit and especially around, uh, you know, women's health and developmental uh, systems. So around children and education. And and um, so so we were arguing because I'm of the opinion that the modern news cycle is toxic and that the human brain was not developed to consume the worst fucking thing happening at every single second of the day. And so we were talking about the recent earthquake that's been happening that happened in Syria and in Turkey and in a whole region and how basically the media, there's so many veins to go down, but the two things, my two points are pissing me off for one, people might get the Turkish earthquake, even though it affected as many people in Syria who are far more displaced than people in Turkey. And because no one really seems to care about Syria because they hear it's a war-torn state, right? And then part two of that is that news agencies are just finding the worst, most verbose footage they can. Of, it's always the child being pulled out of the rubble. 
right? It's 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 never like the the people doing other things. It's always the worst image in terms of a, from a humanity perspective that they can find to help help push a narrative, right? And 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 that's the problem I have with modern media. So I think the TNN analogy is is spot on for Peter. Right? Oh, so it's like yeah. So if you think about it, even like going back to some of the ideas we discussed before, right? Local mm-hmm. and linear. Mm-hmm. I think the our brains, like our hardware, didn't develop in a world where you could know what was happening halfway across the world. Like if an earthquake happened, you felt it, right? If you were within the the radius, like the affected radius of it, like mm-hmm. you would know. Kind of, you don't need someone to tell you there was an earthquake. You'd be like, "Oh, how like the ground is shaking," yeah. right? Yeah, so, I feel it. yeah. Not only that, but when you think about it from a hardware perspective, it boils back down to attention, right? So mm-hmm. our brains, our amygdalas, are going to engage with the things that cause the the biggest reaction in them. And that's the thing that our social networks are built to exploit, right? It's an attention mm-hmm. economy. That's why I mentioned Absolutely. it. Like it's it's this concept of little so, packets of joy and the serotonin. It's it's those little dopamine hits of like yeah. <sighs> kind of like inbox zero. Yeah, right. it's, it's it's not serotonin, it's dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's kinda like this idea of yeah, like yeah. <laughs> inbox zero kind of like that dopamine hit you get from like seeing like inbox zero and but when you look, look at, at look at TikTok, you know? And this is where it comes down to weaponized attention. Yeah. So the thing is that if you don't have ask, you don't take the pause to ask yourself questions, right? Mm-hmm. Things just settle down in your brain and your worldview is changing little by little, nudged and nudged because you are normalizing or these ideas and things you're exposed to, you think it's everyday, right? You think, Every day there's an earthquake. Every day there's like a lot of death. Every day there's these things. So I love that there's mentioned TikTok. I love there's some few channels and stuff that are like the the Good News Network, right? Like Good yeah, News for sure. And Let's I fill love in with that. But and Peter, I I hate that like the whole uh, global pandemic shut down a lot of uh, global events. But one of the things I look for a lot to in all of like Singular University's conferences was Roy Kurzweil and Peter always started their keynotes with evidence of abundance right mm-hmm. and when you think when you put things in, into perspective of all the good things that are happening yeah. super quickly all these technological advancements that are making things that were objectively seemed impossible and now they're possible because of breakthroughs that we don't understand right so sort of think, thinking like crispr is a, a huge example for me of it, it's changing completely this idea that XYZ isn't curable or even going be- mm. even going beyond that, right? One of the, th- the things that I think is also really important is if you question things that you believe to be true, it opens new avenues. For example, thinking of aging as a disease that is curable completely changes what you focus on, right? And then you see right. all of these movements, I think um, anti-aging medications, treatments, when you start to think about it that way, you start taking it as it's a heart fat, kind of like the, <laughs> I, I, that's why I laugh whenever anyone uses the two things are inevitable in life, death and taxes. Like what if, yeah, yeah. <laughs> question both things, right? You mentioned like yeah, no income tax, for, right? For sure, yeah. <laughs> but also like death, should we, what is it? It does like death give us meaning and you, you can get into like the philosophical parts of life, but 
that's where it boils back down to like, what is it that we, what are those preconceived ideas that we, mm. we might or might not be able to articulate through which we view life, right? What are those lenses that we're using to analyze everything? And how often are we taking those pauses? Because change is only going to get faster mm -hmm. and it's going to come and it's not only faster, it's constant, right? It's almost a certainty yeah. now. So what then, right? As I talked about before, mm -hmm. hardware and software for humans, we haven't had a major update in quite a while. But yeah. that has that opens up a door to like augmentation, right? Mm -hmm. In a way, phones are a way of like it's, of an, augmentation. it's an augmentation. Yeah. But it's just ah. <laughs> so 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 I, I kind of want to to continue this conversation. Talk about software and hardware updates of human brains. So there, like, I'm going to think of two products. I, I think of, I thought of two already. I'm going to run both by you in terms of how you see them impacting um, the human species and the current society we live in as a whole. And they're, and they're both and they're both different. Um, so the first one is, you know, it's it's become very. Um, sorry, my dog is walking around. It's it's, it's become very uh, it's become very obvious that Apple's going to be releasing like a a mixed AR or VR style headset in the next year. Um, and although people will say like Oculus has done it, other people have done it, but like people, at least in America, the things that run the rest of the world in terms of the rate at which things change, Apple is really that number. You know, like Google could make the, the as you know, I'm just I'm explaining for the audience. It's like, even if Google were to make a feature or product on their phone first, until Apple does it, it really doesn't become a thing that society adapts to, right? Especially at least in America and like a, and a more privileged society, right? So what do you think Apple's massive you know, kind of dive into AR VR is going to do for that kind of subject. And then and I'll save the second one for after this. Okay. So I'm gonna go back to William Gibson's quote on the features already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the biggest sources of empathy for and more than empathy, kind of like your ability to predict the feature is to experience it. So one of the reasons why I think that Apple really enacts that sort of like cultural change that you were talking about is because Apple waits to see what people value and mm -hmm. they, and they extract that essence, right? So it's not all the bells and whistles. It's not a, how many people are going to spend like $3,000 on a headset that's heavy and like, it has all these sensors and it's yeah. cool and it's for gaming. <laughs> and like, it's kind of like, it's, it's a solution looking for a problem, but you roll, you roll it back. And I think that mixed reality, um, have you tried the magic lens? I have. Okay. So yeah. what was your experience with it? For, before you, before I say that, do you want to explain it to the audience? That okay. Not know what it is? So yeah. there were these, <laughs> there are these, um, AR goggles that have passed through means that you can see that it's a transparent lens that it has a screen in between that it projects things onto the real world. So the the original tech demo, you can probably find the video on YouTube. And it was this idea of like, you could see a whale and there were you were in a classroom and they were explaining and you could see the whale going over and you can have these complex models. But the reality is that when you went back to the practical side of it, it was like you had a battery pack on your hip and it was heavy and then like half an hour later ran out of battery and it was cool and yeah. it was it, it, it seemed like a toy right a tech demo mm -hmm. but i think that that is one another concept that's very interesting which is like the deceptive mm -hmm. 
that deceptive face of technology, right? When you need to look past the toy, mm -hmm. the gimmick, and you really need to see what is this technology changing, right? So Jeff Bezos yeah. has a very famous quote about like, um, if you want your company to stay relevant, you should focus rather than keep on looking for what's going to change, what's going to change. It's what's not going to change, right? So when I right. think about that in the terms of like mixed reality, I think about, okay, what was the what was the biggest failure of VR? Most people don't want to be isolated, right? right. If you've ever like, <laughs> I remember trying to watch Netflix uh, with my fiance, both of us on like Oculus. It was weird. It was like, why are we it's watching weird. like? I'd rather just stare at a TV. Yeah, it's it's kind yeah. of weird, right? But when you think about it, yeah. kind of like the TV and the experience is one thing. Mm -hmm. So then you need to look at what we use today and what is going to remain the same. So what is one of the evolutionary hardware advantages that we had over other species? Our thumbs. What do phones do? They keep our hands busy. So mm -hmm. imagine you can do everything you do on your phone but now your hands are free. Now go a little bit deeper. And it's this is where, why I love the kind of like how I talked about for my eight-year-old self. Like I look at the convergence points of technology and I ask, what if? Mm. So this is a very right. important convergence point, right? Because it's a lot of people right now, it's text to whatever. That's the age of AI mm -hmm. we're in. All of these generative networks, it's text to image, text to video, text to whatever, or voice to text. Now, when you think about the way we naturally interface with things, and I think that's what Apple has been doing, is when you think about Siri, and I don't know if you use like smart homes, but just being able to, the idea of not the, <laughs> the, I think the 90s clapping and turning on lights has become kind of like Siri and naturally it's become part of everyday life. So if you grab the idea of naturally being able to manipulate and access information on the go without having to get away from that immersiveness of the, let's call it the real world, right? Mm -hmm. That gives you so many layers because... Which is why Apple is coming out with a mixed reality headset. Yes. Right? And they're not doing and, VR. And they're not doing... They don't give a fuck about VR. But they've been doing AR for a while. Like, they've been adding... So, like, my iPad has had an IR blaster in the back of it for three years. And, like, there's some of their games they play, like... They were the first... I remember, I think it was a keynote three or four years ago where... They took a standard game that used to be played on the iPad, but they made it as an AR demo where it would like live on any tabletop you, you point your iPad at. And people were like, that's dumb. But the kids picking up their iPads thought it was the coolest thing in the world okay. because they could like do it wherever they want. Paradigm yes. change. And that's the, that's yeah. the second element of this. Very mm -hmm. few people understood the technology that went behind that because then mm -hmm. everyone was having sensors on their devices that could scan the world around them and digitize it and they were creating a map for it yeah. so when you ask me how is mixed reality going to change it's really going to boil down to mm -hmm. so right now we have a we, we used to have a computing limitation and now the as we get sensors smaller and smaller and smaller we're going to start seeing what um, Rick Kurzweil calls the sensor economy. So when you think about the sensor economy, if everything around you is connected and can sense and send information, then you can actively do things, 
right? Once you digitize something, right, you can have a digital double of your home because guess what? The lenses are going to be on you all the time, right? Eyeglasses are the oldest wearable and it's socially acceptable and you can go back to glass holes and like, I think Google had it right the first time. Uh, <laughs> Google Glass, I think. Was so, <laughs> yeah. So just 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 to pause you. So, um, to, to like on the magic lens, I tried it once. I was at Bell Labs, uh, which people don't know is like the OG creator of all cool technology in the '90s, basically, um, for a while, right? Yeah. At least in the '50s and '60s, and they had one, and it, this was 2017, so it was still like when it was like kind of newish. But like, I literally looked at it and. They asked, I was with my boss at the time, Brian Collins, and they asked me, uh, like, what do you, what do you think about this as the future? I was like, I mean, the headset's cool, but you know, Apple probably put this on an iPhone in the next five years. So like, I don't see the point spending 10 grand on the setup. They're like, they're like, it'll probably take longer for Apple to match this. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. You know? <laughs> and so, and so going off that, um, when I was in college, I went to school for aerospace engineering. Um, the Google Glass had this program where they wanted engineers to test out the product, engineers and other things. So I applied and I got in. So I actually had in college a pair of Google Glasses, a Google Glass. Um, I ended up selling it like a year after using them because someone wanted to buy it for like a lot more money than I paid for it because I got a really good deal. But it was really cool because I actually wore it on the subway in New York City. So I had to go to New York so they had to do the demo with me and I, I just had to wear it the entire day. And I've never had more people stare at me in my entire life. This was 2013, right? 2000, 2013, right? Never had more people stare at me in my entire life, Pedro. I'm telling you. And the thing is, is because it had a camera on it, and at that point in time, this was 10 years ago, on the subway, I had probably 10 people tell me saying, I hope that's not recording because I don't want to be recorded. And... I, every time I was like, no, it, it's, it's not on it. It's, it's passive. They're like, but, but why do I still see it? It's like, it's, it's, it's there. Right. And I think that what people don't realize is that we use phones so ubiquitously with cameras now. And like, I'm looking at the back of my iPhone right now and there's a flash, there's three lenses and there's an IR blaster. Most people have no idea the little black dot on the back of their phone is an IR blaster. Mm -hmm. And the amount of data that that thing takes and every time we take a photo, every time it's even out, this is why Apple will run the world when it comes to mixed reality. Because I guarantee you they've already mapped the entirety of the world just based Your on people home. having iPhones in their pockets. Your home's They're probably home. already there. They know exactly. Here's the thing. Because, because like cameras are one thing. But I think most people don't understand what an IR blaster can do. Right? It's like, it, let, me, let me put it this way. Just say you're a realtor and you are selling houses. And you used to have to go through and take photos of room by room, but now you can just move your phone around the room and connect with the camera. And the IR blaster, it's not the camera that's lacing together these 3D images of, of, of houses. They're just recording the image. It's the IR blaster that's indexing them in a 3D way, right? So it's everything, right? It's like a vector. You know, the photo is the magnitude, but the IR blaster is the direction. And that direction is everything, right? Um, it's super exciting and also terrifying, but I'm also really excited because Apple gets it. And when it comes out, it'll be beautiful. Yes. And I think that that'll be something important. cool. It's very important. Cause I think, I, so I, yeah, wait. I, so I think that one of the things that is different about Apple, and I think that it's part of your legacy, as long as they're around as a company, I hope they, they maintain it is getting down to the essence and refining that essence into a product that feels seamless 
that's beauty, mm. that's art. And that's what makes mm -hmm. something enjoyable, right? Mm -hmm. If you enjoy the experience, it's not that it gets in the way. And I think that you mentioned right now, like the IR Blaster and stuff, like I'm not going to put the company on blast, but one of the, well, the first companies I started had to do with real estate, family business and real estate. But I had this $2,000 camera and then you, then you need this heavy, you need to haul it in its own bag and tripod and you could scan. And I was like, oh my God. See, I know exactly what you're talking about. You don't about, have to yeah. go and see the, the flat before you buy it. People still mm -hmm. went, right? It, it wasn't solving the problem. And no. one of the funny things is my card expired and, uh, and kind of like had a legacy plan and they canceled it and I was on the phone with them and talking about the whole customer service. And I was like, you're aware that I can use my iPhone and put it on a tripod and not even the tripod. I can just take the pictures and like, as you said, the IR blaster is doing most of the job because it's only making a map mm -hmm. and that it knows where to stitch things. So I was like, the, this camera is old. I like it. I have some customers. I have some models here. Like, is it okay? Like, can we just keep it? And they were like, no, no. Without realizing that they had already been outpaced by the phone I had in my pocket every day. Yeah. So if you ask me mixed reality, how it's going to change. So think about it as we're the more you dematerialize something, the closer you are to demonetizing it. So the moment that so our phone right now is hardware, right? And you need to carry around. How many times is it? have you been like out the door and you're by your car and you're like, shoot, I forgot my phone. And then you're like disconnected from the internet. Zero. And it's like, exactly, <laughs> right? So yeah. when you yeah. think about it. And I have an Apple watch. So like it's, it's really zero. It's just strapped to me. So now. But I'm a sucker for Apple. But, but no, I'm, I'm too. <laughs> uh, but one of the things yeah. that's fundamentally going to change that is imagine that now everything around you can have an app. That it yeah. doesn't, you don't need to upgrade the hardware necessarily. It's just mm. now your car, you're going to be able to detect a lot of things and you're just going to be able to look at an engine. And like, there's a lot of edge processing mm. that's gonna, like the glasses won't have to process. It'll just connect to something that will connect to something else that will process that. And I'll tell you like that, this is where you need to put that in, right? Like put this right. thing in. And when you think about how that's going to be a huge paradigm shift, comes back to the example you gave about the game and you could play it on the countertop. And like, I can go around and need to shoot because like the iPad is, and I'm like, oh my God, there's an airplane over here. When you think about how imagination plays a role in human creativity, it comes back down to- It's everything. You're removing constraints because mm. you're digitizing everything around you without having to go. And that painting that I have right there, that like, I, I love music posters. I think it's one of like the mm -hmm. greatest, art forms that is a dying art form because people don't like it but imagine yeah. that this same artist i can make this come to life and you already have apps yeah. for this but imagine you can do that for the whole world mm -hmm. and it's i like this aesthetic imagine like having mm -hmm. instagram filters on everything you see on the world and your little yeah. pocket of reality becomes literally how you want to view it you're having a bad day you're you can have your apple watch being like the your heart rate's a bit of like you need to calm down and have it actively manage what colors you look at it. Think of people who live in Nordic countries where um, they might struggle with like seasonal depression just because of the amount of sunlight they get. They and sun, you can yeah. actively have them view the world in a different in color different palette that will allow them to hack their brains, right? Once again, we have old hardware, which is easily fooled, and we can mm -hmm. use that to our advantage. So if you ask me, yeah. it's going to change everything. And I think... It, out of all the technologies yeah. that are coming out, like once again, convergence point, 
all of these artificial intelligence frameworks, you're going to have a lot of specialized narrow intelligence um, neural networks that we we don't have to go into the whole privacy talk. But if you want to go into privacy and you're concerned mm -hmm. about privacy, edge processing is your friend, which means you can have a pre-trained network, load it. It might not have all the bells and whistles, but you're going to have something that is functional. Or you can be connected to a network that is actively being trained, think Tesla and cars and being able to grab all mm -hmm. the traffic data. But just imagine that it doesn't even have to be your Tesla. It can be your Honda Civic that you're driving, right? That's 10 years old, but now you're looking at the road and you can get not waste active conditions of like, oh, I'm driving and it's kind of GPS estimating your speed. It can actually have like, oh, there's a lot of pedestrians or like it's raining and like the visibility is this much and we can adjust this and that. All of that, just think the whole thing that you're you're looking at your dashboard, if your car's dashboard, you don't like the way it looks, you don't have to change your hardware. You can just hack into it, change it, and it can look into your speed. doesn't have to be there. I don't know if you've driven any of the cars that have a heads-up display, but just imagine mm -hmm. that Constant, you yeah. can customize the world to whatever you want. And the, and the further ahead we get into edge processing and having more and more narrow neural networks, you're just going to be able to augment every aspect of your life actively. So no more smart mirror. You're going to have a, the glasses are going to be able to tell you your form is wrong when you're exercising just based on kind of like the orientation of your head and kind of like if you're wavering, because it's going to have a multitude of sensors that is just mm -hmm. going to compute and tell you and actively be able to augment you as much or as little as you want. That's the important part, as much or as little as you want. Because some people want 100%, some people want 10%. You know, like, I mean, for me, I I get really excited by, because it, I mean, it seems like it's going to come out in the next six months mm -hmm. um, or at least be announced and maybe come to Probably the developer conference for Apple. WWDC is, there, I think it'll be the and one more thing. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, kind of like the, yeah, it, they, they always the drop those things thing. during the developer yeah. conference because what Steve Jobs it's figured out, heavy. you need yeah. developers to, so tool, so kind of like, so technologies are just tools until they're animated by human ideas. And that is the world of developer developers. And that's where creativity comes into play. So they can build this product, but all the features that I've just discussed, told you about this comes a little bit from my understanding and my familiarity with a lot of the the underlying technologies that are converging but it still takes a developer developer that's going to come and grab those ideas and they're they're going to build that future those realities mm -hmm. are going to be built still by humans and we want different ideas and so we want and that's what i think apple is so good at this because they understand that they are very, very good at a lot of things, but like they don't make like even their own silicon, they don't make it. They're like some like TSMC has mastered the art of making silicon chips for at least the next two decades, mm -hmm. maybe decade um, until eventually Apple probably make their own factory. But like we're going to focus on things we're good at. And I think their, their ability to bring in developers and because they have a track record with the iTunes store, like. Something we take for granted, which is just Spotify or any other streaming service like Apple Music, um, we take that for granted nowadays, right? Like the the generation in high school, middle school now that just has, you know, the family Spotify accounts, them and their siblings and their parents all listen to whatever music they want. Like, I remember I used to either go to the library, like, so I grew up at a weird time for music, right? So for me, it was 
like 2003 is when I think I first downloaded iTunes. And I remember it, I just took my mom's entire CD collection and burned it online because I wanted them all on there. But I didn't have any device to, to play it on, right? And then the iPod really became like, I finally got my first iPod, I think, in 2005. And I was like, ooh, I, get the, I have to choose which songs, which are 30 gigs of music to run on my iPod. A thousand songs in your time. pocket. Yeah, correct. But but like, and, and then I got up to, you know, I think I was 2,000 songs. It was like, whoa, and I could put photos online. Just like, wow, it has a color screen, you know? So like, instead of the trackpad, instead of the the, the click wheel turning a blue, a, a gray dial, it turns a blue dial. It's like, wow, this is so cool. And it burns through so much more power. Regardless, I'm down another rabbit hole. But what Steve Jobs did in terms of bringing together all the music labels and saying, this is how much we're going to charge for a song. But they basically created the economy for music, Right. And then from there, they created the, the ability for like, people say, oh, you know, Spotify would be better without Apple. It's like Spotify wouldn't exist without Apple. Like people need to realize that. Like Apple wants Spotify to exist because they create competition and they create tension and good tension is a good thing. But also like the path that Spotify uses to do what they currently do would not exist without Apple paving the way for music rights and digitization, right? Okay, so- and. Yeah, go ahead. Finish, finish, finish. Yeah, no, no. What I was going to say is, is, is off that whole thing is that Apple's ability to understand that we're really making technology here, but unless we have the entire ecosystem and this entire system of people and believers and partners with us to help us realize it, you will lose it. Okay, so here's where it comes kind of like the whole concept of abundance comes back into play. Mm-hmm. So what are it, it, streaming services, right? If you think about it, you can talk about it everything you you want about economics but you used to have to be like oh god like labels had to you had to buy a whole cd right Mm -hmm. so they had to make enough songs and probably out of those 10 songs maybe two were good and the rest were kind of fillers and even the band knew that but it was like yeah yeah, i was like (laughs) ah but you still had to buy the whole cd but sometimes they become popular which is awesome you know so but this is where it comes back like if you talk to any teenager that had streaming services ready or even just YouTube and just being able to stream the, the songs you want on YouTube and you might get or an torrent, app yeah. or torrent them. Um, but just the whole idea of like, it became abundant. You don't think about, oh, can I listen to this song? Should I? Oh my God, I, I don't know. Like time is right now your most scarce asset. But when you think about it, it changed the way you consume content because now it's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to make a mixtape. You know what? Yeah. Imagine you went to like your local record store and it was like, the dude was like, I'm going to sell you this mixtape. It's totally cool. Like you like that one song, I'm going to make a mixtape for you. And he was going to burn a CD for you. Custom CD, he didn't know you. Would you risk purchasing that one? Eh. But a playlist on Spotify that someone did that they curated, quote unquote, because it's Mm kind of like their likings and you can subscribe to it. I'm, I dig that, right? Sometimes I've discovered music and like the algorithm, the Spotify algorithm probably knows my taste better. And even just going back down to those like preference algorithms, I'm an, I have both an Apple Music and a Spotify subscription. I use them very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. Yeah. And I think that it, it comes back down to the how personalized do you want it? Sometimes I enjoy that Apple doesn't track as much. It doesn't try to make like a weird playlist. It doesn't try to. And it pays artists more. And it pays artists more. And I think yeah, it it comes back down to like even publishing music. Like I've I've experienced that whole like oh you, you're like yeah I have like ten thousand streams and it's like 
wait that's like You're barely a dollar <laughs> yeah like yeah. that's barely a dollar <laughs> wait what yeah. like if i think yeah. about it for me kind of like once again going back to the impact and the scale for me the idea of i think i have like over three hundred thousand streams on the music i've made with ai and mm-hmm. when i think about it it's like wait just the whole concept of three hundred thousand plays like if i transfer that into minutes three minutes if i start thinking about the amount of time people like someone has stopped and listened to something that i made for me it's like oh my god i've granted this great impact once again not big numbers but when you go back to you start thinking about how many people there really are in the world how many things are output all the time i don't know how many songs get uploaded to spotify daily um it, it really starts going back down to a lot of these platforms, what they've done is that they allow those micro audiences to emerge, right? It might be a little mm-hmm. indie band that has like 50 listeners. For me, I think that our responsibility and part of the idea of like why business models for abundant futures are going to shift a lot is, as you talked about, I wish that if I'm paying like $10 for my subscription on Spotify, that I could give those, let's say Spotify takes five, fine. But those five dollars, I wish dollar. I could assign them to this artist, right? It's not I think a. That's the future. It's not a measure of how, but it's I want to support them because I want this to be made, right? I like mm-hmm. them. I want to support them. I want to do this. Do I want to donate? Do I want to whatever I want to do, right? So mm-hmm. it comes back down to, for Spotify, I think someone made the math and we were laughing because it was like I think, for the average country, a Spotify cost a friend in most countries, but. I think in the US, you had to listen to eight hours of music before you were costing Spotify more in royalties that they were paying mm-hmm. out to artists than what- Is that per day or per, per day? You had to listen to oh, eight geez. hours of music in a day. So when you think about it, it's like their model is like effed up, right? It should be more like mm-hmm. there's this much of what you're paying every month that's going to go to royalties. And if you only listen to three songs, it's going to go divided. And there's better right. business models, right? There's better incentives. But we- Apple's as far, I think theirs is like two hour and a half a day is their break even. Yeah. But they also like, they have so much money and overhead from other things. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like yeah. they, they, they don't care if they lose money off of music because they just want a better experience. And because like, I think we're getting to a point eventually where something like Taylor Swift will sign exclusive deal with Apple music. And that'll be like a, like paradigm shifting thing. Yes. Even though I spend zero time listening to Taylor Swift, people don't realize it'll move a million people from Spotify to Apple. That would happen. Yes. And I think you know? it, it boils back down to once again, how we signal what we value, right? Mm-hmm. Art versus commerce also. Yeah. no, and <laughs> Ticketmaster, like what they're doing right now. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people have been discouraged by this idea that, oh, like generative AI being like, oh, it's attacking the creative arts, right? And I'm like, the no, it's empowering you. Like, just imagine that. It enables it. Yeah, it enables it. And it empowers you to do things. But it, it really comes back down to, I love Star Trek for many reasons. One of them is, I've always looked to Star Trek as which like, Star Trek though? Oh. All Star Trek or I know I asked the question. Oh, you did ask. I should have answered that before you asked me if this was going to be recorded. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I will. I'll, maybe you can, you can pass. We we can we can. I'll save pass this for, on that one. We'll I don't want to. We'll, we'll we'll save it for episode two. How about yeah? That? We'll be in person in the jungle in Guatemala and we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk. About but Star I think Trek. the the main point around Star Trek is that I love how Trekkies have sought to make the technology they saw in Star Trek a reality. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I always tell people is like, hey, you got to give it to Trekkies, right? Like that utopia, that Star Trek 
uh, functions under is that like people can do whatever they want because like we got to a point where everything was so abundant that you could just choose to do whatever you did and longevity yeah. wasn't an issue and you could just like live indefinitely and that was the point of starfleet right yep like, uh, at the end of the day um so off of music to, to some i know you and i are rabbit hole lovers <laughs> so um ab abundance sound right is the name yeah. of your so so if you were to like we met an elevator and you were pitching it to me about why i should listen to it what, what would you say why you should listen to it i listen to it. i think it's i think it's i think it's fucking awesome right because i'm <laughs> like i mean i also have musical backgrounds like i i love the the tonality and it's amazing like there are definitely some pieces you have that are trained off of like a classical piece of music and like i spent so much time learning the classics and i'm just like i always hear like twinges of parts of like what would have been bach or beethoven but the way it's constructed together is so beautifully and seamless it's like i don't know if a human could have made this you know um and i love but... that last part you put right now is right there so it's yeah so challenge what you think is possible it's going to challenge what you think is going to be possible so i think um if anyone uh listens to the if if you don't too long kind of like didn't watch my whole ted talk the my main argument was we need to come to a point where we appreciate ai creative outputs as such and we stop trying to compare mm -hmm. them to human outputs and for me like i think one of the biggest lessons i've had is that it's removing constraints to expressing right so i haven't published but i actually like um I took some of these pieces to a producer in Nashville and we had a lot of fun because he had a very similar reaction to you. Like, you know, this sounds like, well, but then I'm like the, who would have played that? It sounds like, it sounds cool, but like no one, yeah. like no human would have come and done that. So let's try to do that. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting to see because the first producer I tried to work with, like he was like, I can't do this. This is going to destroy like the industry, what are you doing? Like, and I was like, I'm one with the good guys. I'm trying to explore it actively before we, the, I'm like the, I have a skill set that I can be a little bit ahead. And I'm, yeah, it's, it's a dude with running a <laughs> command prompt on his laptop and I can generate things here with you. But for me, it's yeah. like what I'm trying, the main thing, it was like challenge what you think is possible, right? And if you remove those constraints, what comes mm -hmm. out? Both as U.S. And and human, yeah. but also like what can the machines do that can teach us Correct. and we can learn to appreciate. And that heavy side for me was related to like I was just getting worked up over what that guy said, like you're going to ruin the music industry. <laughs> like, do you know, do you know how many it's like so this? Yeah, I like so my big thing is, is I'm sure that many people got mad when the light bulb was invented that it was putting the people whose jobs were to refill the oil canister lights around the street out of business right? This is the exact same thing, right? Like there will, there will always be a place for human creativity, yes. regardless of how much AI and augmented reality and ML and all many acronyms and fun things most of us don't understand. We can throw into one sentence. Human creativity will still be the centerpiece yes. because it's, it's needed to create it. It's needed to maintain it. It's needed to expand it, right? And, you know, it's just like, um, that would like be saying, oh, it was un it's unfair that a contractor uses power tools to build a house, 
right? Like it's the exact same thing. It's like, okay, you want him to use the hand operated screwdriver or, or drill that he has to, you know, get calloused hands and probably rip off his skin twice a day trying to drill three holes in the wall, or you could use a power drill and do the entire house today, you know? And that's the exact same thing, right? It's like, let's, let's, and, and, and I think because at least I was trained in a traditional musical sense where like, here is what you learn. And I was percussionist, right? So especially from, from a drummer's perspective, it's like, you have to learn all the essential rudiments and all the essential rhythms, and the essential patterns, the essential instruments and the essential, essential required bullshit, right? And then when you get to a point when you're like, now go make your own stuff, you live within the constructs of, of what you were taught, right? And that's why some of the best percussionists of all time, like taught themselves drums and then went and did the classics. Like Neil Peart is my favorite example, is like my favorite musicians of all time, right? The drummer of Rush, someone who started out pretty much self-teaching himself, becoming the, the master, and then like doing a doctorate in, in, in music theory because he wanted to understand more of what he learned. And he's like, interesting, you know, because he, he said afterwards, he's like, it's very interesting because the way I came up with doing it wasn't the way they taught it, but the way I came up with doing it was something that no one had done before and allowed, you know, dozens of other artists like the hit Taylor Hawkins in the world to try something brand new. So right? I, I love... There, there's so many things that that I love about what you talked about right now, but I think that you just expressed the art understanding of how knowledge works and how it's transmitted in in such a beautiful way that I think it's it's we think that knowledge transmission is a top down model right now, right? And it's kind of mm -hmm. like authority, it's right? Like, Coming back to what we talked yeah. about before, instead of emergence, and I think that I I love. There's one of my mentors, Pascal Finette, he he has a quote that I love. He talks about kind of like, education is what other people do to you, but learning is what you do to yourself. And one of the things that mm. I learned a lot through this process is with the producer, like we did three songs with AI. And then I was like that, mm -hmm. I have this idea. And I played a couple of things on the piano and then kind of like juices started flowing. And we made one of the songs that we made was completely um I was in the right mindset and in the right environment. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But with my, uh, I recently started retaking piano lessons. And one of the things that the teacher talked about, I was like, the, I have no idea what key this is and whatever. And she was like, oh, just send me the audio. And she was like, why did you make your song in like C sharp minor? And what, and she said something else. And I was like, yeah. the, she's like, that's a very uncommon like key to write in and it's very hard because it's Good. very sinister. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just started playing it. It sounded right. And I think it goes back down to my my idea that I was talking mm -hmm. before about like you're removing constraints, right? Instead of this mm -hmm. idea of oh, only this select group can create these kind of things, right? The more players you have, kind of like diversity is our greatest strength as a species. And I think that for the longevity of our species, like we really need to shift the way we look at diversity and how we celebrate it, how we integrate it and how we yeah. encourage people to have original ideas and thoughts, right? Because what you were talking about, like there's the right way and the classic and when, even when you we think- We all can't be Jimmy Page, so, you know. It's, I, I recently <laughs> tried playing on a fretless guitar and being able to do like microtones. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, like, I can I, I I I can do this because like there's no frets and then yeah. I I have there's, there's this whole other world the and, space between yeah and <laughs> for me like my neural networks I started pushing them a little bit more to 
there's no definition of a node. Like instead of having a, a meter, and when you look at uh, different cultures have other scales, for example, like uh, music in India, uh, the way that they their musical notation system is not compatible with what we consider like the, the European classical, the traditional one. Mm -hmm. And treble clef, bass clef. But when you think about it in terms of like how my neural network understands sound is frequencies, it's math, it's numbers. And that allows it to jump between things. And there is a mathematical relation mm -hmm. to consonants, dissonance, and even that goes back down to like what we've been taught to appreciate as this is nice, this is not so nice. Yeah. Um, and it really opens up a whole new palette of of expressionality, right? Like, because in the end, mm. that is one of the things that as humans we seek to do, right? We want to express ourselves, and that hasn't changed, right? If you go back to like yeah. everything from cave paintings down to nowadays, being able to like everyone can blurt out their opinions on Twitter, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Sadly, yeah, actually not sadly, <laughs> but like, and I and I mean, like, I I am a proponent of free speech, but sometimes I think. If everyone just read what they were posting before they posted it, I think we'd all be way better off. And that's just a comment to, yeah, mostly Facebook moms. But um, <laughs> so, so so to kind of wrap, to, to bring it all back around, and I really appreciate that that conversation we just had about music and AI, because I think that it's one of the true untapped um, nodes that really hasn't been fully, and I, I'm waiting, I'm waiting until like, one of the top, you know, the Grammy award winning pop artists does something with AI, because I think then people would be like, oh, AI is cool now, sadly, right? Um, like Harry Styles will use it to to write his next song. You're Maybe not he already has, you know? It. You're probably not going to hear so, it. Because it's, it's such a protected privileged kingdom, right? Yes. And I think that it, it depends on whether what angle they're playing on it. Because if, if I go back and I tell you there's already a bunch of AI powered plugins for mixing, mastering. Sure. I don't know if you've seen the latest kind of like making. there's the there's a bunch of diffusion models are one of the biggest tools right now for emulation. So diffusion is one of mm -hmm. the so transformers are good for new novel things. Diffusion models are best for emulating things. So changing. Yeah. So I don't know if you've seen uh they did an Ariana Grande cover of um of a song and they trained it to sound like Ariana and you can like Mm. modify your voice and that that's just styling right we've seen stylized yeah. images before instagram filters for anyone listening like that's the, it's the same yeah. thing of that applied to voice but the impact that you can have of people like producers doubling vocals the artist is not going to help but i bet mm. you that there are a whole bunch if i've been without being a musician without being in the industry i've been able to do everything i've been able to achieve this far i bet you there are already actively uh, being used by labels, studios, and producers. Right. They're just Especially not advertising it yeah. because they see it as their competitive edge. And once mm -hmm. you start, and especially when you think about it, um, I think one of the quickest applications is being able to send an artist a demo of, this is how we think this song might sound with you singing it. Yeah. And just let the machine make it two seconds. And we're going to yeah. start seeing like AI, completely AI artists, um, singing and doing models and you're just going to be a yeah mashup. i was gonna i was gonna say that like you know so that poster you're referring to earlier is the daft punk poster and and so think of groups that had an anonymity for so long like i could see a label making an award-winning group of artists that remains anonymous like daft punk did for so long um and when they perform they just have people in costumes that are just paid actors that know what to do 
or know what to play, you know, but like the music was written and recorded and produced by AI, you know, and it's, I think we're there already. You already have so. the Vocaloids of Hatsune Miku in Japan. So yeah. once again, the features already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Correct. And not, and, and not like people just don't know about it too, which is like distributed distribution is all about, is about awareness and knowledge too. Right. But sometimes it's just about knowing it exists. Going back to that. So, so, so the second part of the question. So I said, there were two things that I'm excited about. Um, and then we got into the Apple AR VR music, you know, art versus commerce. And I think it's an important tangent. So I, think I did want to talk to you about, but the second thing I'm excited about in terms of like truly more, a bit more hardware, literally, and a good software is Neuralink. Right. So, um, people that don't know what I'm talking about, Neuralink is another Elon Musk company. Yes, he has multiple companies um, that is looking at basically reestablishing neural collect connections that may be damaged or broken within the standard mental model. I'm I'm obviously simplifying vastly what it does um, for the audience, and it can it, it is supposedly able to do things like reconnect the neural connection between severed limbs that would have been lost through like paralysis. So like someone could, they could basically find new neurons to connect those motor abilities or functions to, or fix things like PTSD or train different potentially defective parts of the human body. So where do you think that's headed? And are you excited by that, that echelon front, so to speak? So remember what I mentioned about hardware upgrades? Yes. Okay. So Neuralink, I think is a good example of that. So the way I think about it is if you can communicate at the speed of thought and one mm -hmm. of the what that opens up, because um, I think anyone who's not neurotypical. So think anyone on the autism spectrum, like I'm not diagnosed, I but I have a lot of, yeah. of traits of ADHD. But um, one of the things that I think is it's very relatable, even if you're you don't realize you might be on the spectrum is when you're thinking so fast that it's hard for you to communicate with others. Mm -hmm. And if you could interface with something that could follow that train of thought and access mm -hmm. and just think about it like, I have a world of <laughs> weird fun facts that my mind later on just connects. And that's one of the reasons why, mm -hmm. for example, we can have this kind of conversation and we jump in tangents and stuff. Boils Correct. back down to that you is still... Yeah. And, and one of the other things is that right now, what we're doing right now, and I think it's a difference mm -hmm. between like being isolated and connecting is ideas have been, ideas are born when two minds connect. So now think about it mm -hmm. if you can just seamlessly connect with others. So when people talk about like the technological singularity and kind of like computing power of a $1,000 device being the equivalent to uh, human brain and then to like all of humanity's brains connected one of the things mm -hmm. that i actually asked uh ray kurzweil this question and i loved his answer because uh, i asked him like ray but doesn't that um miss the fact that if we connect to those computers our computing power gets compounded uh and i loved his answer because he he looked me in the eye because I, I grabbed him on the way to the toilet i think so it was, yeah. it, was, it was a very quick answer but he looked at me and he was like you have a good point but it's probably already factored in okay it took me about a couple of weeks i thought about it, right it's already factored in and then i thought about it in a way that um how life imitates art and mm. i'm probably gonna any, any gamers in the audience are probably gonna appreciate this but 
Uh, I don't know if you ever played Mass Effect. Yes. So okay, so very controversial at the end, but kind of like synthesis being one of those things, right? When we start merging with technology. And I think that we are going to have to start having those conversations about what makes us human, right? Because the moment we start mm -hmm. being able to upload consciousness, right? And like, are you still human? What if we can just pool our power? And you can start going into like, for Matrix, we were energy, but you could also just be computing power and you could have people kind of like in stasis and they're being fed into the matrix and you're using their brains to process things because it's a cheaper processor than manufacturing mm -hmm. them or we have a biological yeah. processor but without going all dystopian i'm really excited about the possibility that it brings um on longevity because mm. one of the the things that we we struggle with right now is um it's a defect of our cell replication kind of like how copy of the photocopy of a photocopy that we end up having a lot of decay so if we're able to mm. keep our minds accessible so think about like someone like Stephen Hawking's we are able to preserve their consciousness and we start thinking about longevity very differently um, we are opening doors to things that I don't think we understand yet so I'm super excited about the whole possibilities of different kinds of augmentation that will open um, and the connectedness that I think we're going to have when we when we are able to connect our trains of thought and kind of like how sometimes you can be sitting in a room and you feel that energy and you're connected and kind of like words are kind of get in the way almost and you can communicate at a different level but being able to do that to build things and ideas together that is going to open doors that i don't think that falls into the region that i'm on the side of it's so early in the technology that i don't even dare to predict how it's going to go but I'm excited about the potential outcomes. I like the way you say that. You don't dare to predict where it's going to go because you, you, you're going to just limit your own potential, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I think that's why I think, and that's and that's something I always say to people, and I think this, this helps drive it home. So I'll repeat myself again, which is, um, blueprints for the future are a fool's errand. Yep. And any plan or schedule at least like i'll be honest with you in my life any plan beyond a month at this current point in time is unrealistic right like because i'm always working with early stage startups and on things like this podcast and, and trying to operate at that at that kind of bleeding edge of what's happening and what i can do to help and grow and things change so quickly and the more people you work with the more complicated it gets and so you can have long-term plans but they will almost always change so just be flexible yep right that's good advice. Um, I, I, it's something I try to follow, but I struggle, right? Because I want to, I want that control, right, of the of the future. But that's impossible. Um, so, I we definitely need a, an a, an episode two or maybe even three or four eventually. <laughs> we'll 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 get we'll get through all of them. Um, but just kind of round out this first episode. I'm going to run you past a few rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, that you can answer in as few or many words as you'd like. Um, and the first, so I always kind of mix them up, but is, is, is there a sound that you associate with happiness? C major. Like just that hmm. scale. The scale? Like just the most vivid. Yeah. No, that was out of tune. I, I can't hear my voice with these headphones on. So like, you get it. But um, <laughs> Hardware limitations. Sorry. 
hardware limitations. Yeah, yeah. Speak, speaking of which, there was a kid I went to high school with that was a brilliant mathematician that knows zero music and he wanted to take AP music theory and basically proved himself that it was just math. Um, and so he aced the written part. He raced, he, he aced everything except the, the listening part um, because that's that just takes train time and or perfect pitch, right? Um, which you can also train, really. Um, is... If you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself, what what problem or project would you want to put it towards? What problem would I put it towards? Um, Anti-aging. So I personally view aging as a disease that is curable, and I think that one of the greatest losses that we have is the loss of humans, human lives, and like they're kind of yeah. like how we talk about emergent systems. Like everyone has a unique perspective and voice that is valuable. And the moment we stop using humans to aging and disease mm -hmm. is the moment that we, I think we're really going to reach our potential as a species. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was, just, I had Bruce Mao on the podcast um, Monday and he is famous for talking about the fact that like in the next 25 years, we're going to have, you know, uh, even though the, the population is, is going to change probably by at the current rate a billion, people don't realize that you're also like, people are dying in that period of people being reborn. So you have like almost close to half the population being new in that span of time, right? And so like the time for change is now because there are some, there are some problems and there are some changes that only come and can only be fixed after certain generations of thought are resolved, right? Yeah. But with that, like aging, and there's, I think, I think there was, who was I talking? Who was I? There's like some TED talk or podcast or something too, where someone basically is like, I think it's this tech millionaire who's like 45. I forget his name. I'll look it up and link it below. He was like spending millions of dollars trying to anti-age himself and yep. use aging as like a disease and is trying to turn it into do you know what i'm talking yes about? i know exactly who you're talking about so there's a concept called longevity escape velocity which is the point mm -hmm. at which medical advancements uh for anti-aging or de-aging happen at a rate yeah. that is faster than the passage of time so i think he is by a lot like he is chronologically 45 and his aim is to be 25, I think. And he's already kind of like at 30, 28, if I'm not mistaken. 31. Yeah, 28 is the age of his like yeah. organ. And that is where we're going to start messing with like chronological versus biological time and kind of like being able to freeze ourselves at a certain point. It's 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 exciting times. It is exciting because I think also people, I, I, I think, so what excites me most is that there are so many human addictions, especially and diseases uh that come from abundance and scarcity on both sides right like you know obesity is a, is a disease of abundance right um and it'd be fascinating to but i mean is that really even abundance because like that that's almost an insult to the idea of abundance it's like it's more it, it's still an addiction yeah right but in order for there to be an addiction there usually has to be availability right um and if not, when there's scarcity, it becomes violent, right? I'm going down a different path. It's not the path I want to talk about. The path I want to talk about is that if you're looking at someone, you know, those shows like My 500 Pound Life or whatever, like if we had a biological model, we'd be able to say you're 26 years old, but your body is 65. And you have a chance if you change right now 
to in five years get to where your biological age will be your chronological age. And if you continue to improve, you can you can even reverse, right? Like bodies can heal a lot. And it's actually pretty amazing what bodies can come back from. Like, like just because someone is 500 pounds now doesn't mean they can't live a healthy life in the future for a very long time. They just have to very quickly get off that current path they're on because the path is limited in terms of what your body can handle. So we're just not evolved to handle that, right? And I love this idea of, I, I think, I, at least I'd hope, because sometimes I see people that the, the healthy path, the better life I'm looking for is in their grasp. They're just unwilling to make that change. But being able to say, look, you're on the path where by 40, you're going to be 100 biologically, right? And you're going to live a terrible life, you know? And that's why, like, I hear people say, like, oh, this hurts and this isn't working. And that just happens with age. And I'm like, I, I know, like, like my dad is 60, turning 63 this year. He has six pack abs and works out and he'll complain about random things, but overall he's in great health, you know? And I know 40 or 35 year olds that complain every single day about being in pain. And what I've learned is just like, everyone's different. You got to find that remedy and that solution for you, but it exists. Like it's, it's, it's out there. You got to go find it. And my whole thing is like, I've had some pretty, significant health scares in my life. Like I've had heart surgery. I've had a few different diseases that have, that have kind of taken me out. And every time I make it my obsession to solve the problem, because I, I enjoy living way too much. Right. And people are like, what? Yeah. Like, like, why do you, the people are like, well, why, why didn't she just stop? And, and one of my mentors, Max mentors, he had cancer three times in the exact same place. And it was like highly metastasized, um, like sickle cell melanoma, like one of the most deadly to deadly forms of cancer. He survived it three separate times because he was just like, I refuse to fucking die from this. Right. And so I think that a lot of healthcare and a lot of, and people might call me like wooey gooey for saying this, but like a lot of it's self-belief. Like if you believe you can get better, if you believe you can become younger, you can do it. You just got to fucking do it. You know, like someone like Warren Buffett, who's close to 90 years old, he's drank He's, he's had two to four liters of cherry Coke a day his entire life, and he is still humming along fine, right? I don't know how. I'm sure it's, it's going to be studied, but like, you know, the guy lives a low-stress life. You know, he has everything he needs access to. You know, he's one of the few people in the world that has that amount of resources and doesn't let it stress him out, you know? Someone like Bezos is worried every single second about what people are saying about him, how to maintain his wealth, how to how to do more. And someone like Warren is just like, like if, if Warren lost all his money tomorrow, he'd probably be excited at the prospect of starting again. Yes. You know, <laughs> he'd just be bummed he didn't have another life to do it. Right. And I really respect that. Um, I know we're on another tangent. Oh, no. Sorry, I, I, I just, love the tangent. I just took over. I think, Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I think that one of the things that you talked about is uh, for me, I think. When I, I lived in, in Korea for a couple of years, and I think it mm. really shifted my perspective on graceful aging because when I saw, I was hiking up a mountain and I saw little grandmas who were hiking and they were like stress-free, like just, they were hiking. I was like, just that was like a moment of like, I really need to change something <laughs> about what I'm doing with life. And and I the, that's the idea of like, I enjoy living life so much uh, that I want to live it for as long as I can really comes back to the root of the abundance of healthcare and we have the technology right i, I know mr b's got a lot of heat for like a recent video he did on like a 10 minute i think it was a 10 minute eye surgery and just curing eyes and just mm -hmm. being like the once again we have most of the like the same way that this 
uh, guy is has been able to de-age himself biologically, mm-hmm. we have it. And if you look at his regime, it's it's a lot of the right vitamins, the right nutrition, right? It's it's the right nutrition, the right workout, the right exercise, the right exercise. It's not just exercising, right? And I but th- also stress. Yes, stress is the biggest thing. It's it's removing cortisol from your body. And I think that right? it boils down to we know like the the thing is that you just mentioned we know what works, what doesn't work. But if we're able to personalize like healthcare, and I think that's one of the, the things that a lot of people miss mm-hmm. out on tools like ChatGPT and Transformers and being able to have the processing power to personalize a lot of the, the this treatment and being able to, instead of, this is your multivitamin that you buy at the store, but rather there are already startups doing that. You send them your blood work, they'll send you your like- They'll send you the right vitamin. The right, for you, like even just shampoo. I was surprised, like I had a friend of mine that I went to his house and he was like, and I was like, why is this shampoo named after your wife? And this this has your name. And it, it, I found it funny that he was like, oh, can you just fill out this survey? He sent me a Google uh, like survey and I filled it out. And yeah, he, yeah, exactly he ordered about. like a small one for me based on my hair. And yeah. and he was like, yeah, I just wanted you to try it. And I was like, the, wait, you can have Salt personalized salt. shampoo. And like just thinking yeah. about it to that extent of, specifically for your needs right the same way as like yeah. skincare like anything that that you think about it like our uh, the way that we've evolved most of the things that we use today have been like one size fits most yeah and if we're going that to like tailored two in one per plus or three in one <laughs> like shampoo conditioner body wash that just dries out your skin dries out your hair and causes problems <laughs> no it's true though like there, there's a startup i'm working with i can't name them yet but um they do advanced dna mapping to help make skincare products that help replace the microbiome on your skin that basically fix every single problem that you have with skin um because like that's the most amazing thing. And it, it, it freaks out people and people hate when I say this, but you know, people 300 years ago didn't really have acne. You know, they didn't, they didn't really have these issues we have with skin because they weren't washing themselves. And so like, this is gross to people. And I've, I've said from this podcast, like when I'm home all week and I'm working out, like I take a lot of baths and I use soap maybe once or maybe once every two weeks, twice every two weeks, when I'm feeling like it. And I have some of the healthiest skin my dermatologist every time is just like, I don't know what you do. And I'm like, I don't use soap. And she's like, yeah, that is the way to solve it. But I can't tell patients not to use soap because they'll think <laughs> I'm crazy. And there are actually some brands now that are actually like trying to help bring back this idea. There, Oh, there's a great book called, um, I'll link it below, but it's all about, it's all about the nature of the microbiome, not only within ourselves, but on ourselves. It's like, it's in our hair, it's in our skin. It's, and that's, and this understanding of the microbiome is, I think is one of the next big, um, uh, cliffs or like echelons in in health. So I had the I had honestly. the privilege of meeting Naveen Jain when I went to Draper University, mm. and Naveen also has like some great talks. I can send you a link on kind of like this but idea that we we really evolved to be a vehicle for our basically our microbiome, right? Mm-hmm. And and kind of like if you think about it, like he might not be that wrong, right? Like because no. like when you go back to a lot of your food cravings and a lot of things like it's your body signaling yeah. to you things the same way that kind of like how you talked about like oh it's within reach and the same way that like mm-hmm. if you eat sugar early or just eating sugar then you're going to crave sugar because like your microbiome is going to be more and more and more uh, there's so many things that uh yeah as you mentioned kind of like we don't we need to challenge what we think we know right 
Correct. Uh, and and that opens once again. I I, I love. I think that's kind of like another of like my guiding mentors it's kind of like the power of inquiry to spark breakthrough ideas is it's not to be um underestimated right because when you start asking questions kind of like the as you talked about like soap how often which soap should i use or what should i Mm -hmm. eat what should i what even just being like the you might be doing the wrong kind of exercise right for your body type for you in particular at this point in time and and to people that don't believe me, I know someone that I will not name because it'll probably ruin their company um, that now runs an eight-figure DTC brand for men's skin and healthcare. And uh, they sell their product in Nordstrom and Amazon and high-end shops. And they they like they they launched in three years to eight figures like this. It's a significant business, right? They don't use their own product because they're like, I only use products that ensure the security of a microbiome. Um, and, and so that's that, that if that's not enough for to tell you anything about the the current uh, like industry. But so the book is called Clean. I'll link it below. Uh, it's by a guy named James Hamblin. It's Clean: The New Science of Skin and the Beauty of Doing Less. And it's true. Like you'll fix most of your. And that's the thing is like, I'm not gonna out my girlfriend like this, but I, I guess I just already have started <laughs> talking about it. But like. She always wakes up and I, my armpits, I, I don't have smelly armpits. Like I, I, I just don't smell. Um, and she's always like, how do you not smell? Cause she's like, I smell. It's because it's, cause I was like, I put on deodorant as rarely as I have to. And if I'm doing it, I'm using like the most simple non-antiperspirant. There's basically nothing in it, but, but stuff that smells good. Right. Because like, I understand how bad it is for you. Um, going back to one thing you said, the, the, the backlash that Mr. Beast got for doing that for he, Mr. Beast basically paid for a thousand, uh, simple surgeries. They basically changed the, they correct the, the filtering layer of the, of the cornea, right. Or the retina cornea. Um, I, I still don't know why he got that much backlash. Like he wasn't doing it for clout. He, he, like he already owns multiple philanthropic organizations. He gives all his money away. He, he doesn't keep any of the money. So it's kind of hard to be like, this kid was doing this for clout when he literally uses all the money to give away. You know? I think it comes back down to kind of like the turning of the majority and the opinion of this idea that money is bad and like everything you do, mm-hmm. you need to be selfless about it. We're really missing the point of Mr. B's making into a video. And I think that even just if it made you question kind of like, why are we not doing these surgeries? Why are they not more accessible? Just going, to, even just that is already a contribution. And as you said, sure. right, he's built a business model that he's leveraging this attention economy to generate wealth, right? He's capturing that value mm-hmm. and he's doing good through the medium that he's doing. Like, really. Which is beautiful. It, what's wrong with beautiful. that? He's, playing the, he's playing the game right. We should be learning. He's literally <laughs> playing the game right. Yeah. No, it's and it's it's funny. I think if, if people misunderstand Mr. Beast, you should watch the podcast with him and Joe Rogan because, you know, Joe asked him, he's like, so what do you splurge on? He's like, nothing. He's like, I went through a period where I bought some designer clothes and, uh, you know, some cool things. But then he's he he lived in a 700 month uh, two bedroom uh, house in North Carolina that he split with his friends. They each paid 350 a month for rent and it got it got broken into and everyone stole all the stuff. He's just like, he didn't care enough to file a, like file insurance scams. So he just started from zero. So he like bought a house with better security. He likes, he bought the simplest Tesla because he just doesn't want to use gas. And then he wears like his own merch, you know, like it's kind of hard to hate the guy. 
Like he's just, he's just so, and he's so smart. Like he, like the, the ideas he thinks about, but like he talks about the simple fact that like in high school and middle school and college, he had basically no friends. He spent every single waking hour of the day figuring out how to do better on YouTube. He's obsessed with YouTube, you know? And it's ironic because Joe is just like, he's like, do you ever talk to people on YouTube? And, J and Jimmy's like, yeah. He's like, I, I know they're, they're nice people. And they're like, and Joe's like, they should be rubbing your feet. And Jimmy's like, they don't have to do that. Like, I, I really like them. You know, like I would, I just really love YouTube. Like, you know, and, and how lucky is YouTube to have their number one creator, someone who just loves fucking doing what they have, you know, like, YouTube needs to protect him at all costs. Yes. You know, if there's ever if there's ever a security threat on Jimmy, I guarantee you, YouTube would be the first company to be like, we're sending security to your off to your to your home. Mm -hmm. You know, because they they exist now. All right, that was that was a fun tangent. <laughs> the last question I will run past you. Um, is there anything else you want to say in there? I didn't mean to shut you off and close that whole conversation down. No, I um, think that it's. Uh, I think more kind of asking anyone listening to really um, think about like what they think about prosperity and abundance and just rethink it kind of like in the lens of what is something that if we made abundant is gonna um, lead to an improvement in life right I think that that's what Jimmy is doing that's a good example of how like mm -hmm. he views money as abundant right and he's looking to the same question that you talked about like the billion dollars right like he's actively doing that he's actively mm -hmm. choosing to enact change and yeah he can he might make some like silly videos but like this one is a particularly good example of how like that same money could have gone to many things and how what we choose to do with our resources as a society going beyond like just yeah. individual choice it really should start to reflect on what we value correct i love that um last question if uh you had the ability to send a single push notification to everyone's cell phone or device in a given area, uh, what would it say and where would it be? Hmm. I think anywhere in the world and it's just be kinder to yourself. Love that. I think that you, you talked about the main thing about like stress being probably the biggest cause of death that we just haven't accounted for. And right. I think that oftentimes like mental health isn't talked about as much as it should be, but the biggest source of stress for most people is themselves Correct. and if we stop and also yeah to and just be kind sorry. to ourselves yeah not only it start mm -hmm. by being kind to yourself but then that kindness is infectious the kinder you are to yourself the kinder you're going to be yeah. to others yeah it's like what's going to give you more stress eating the bag of skittles that you were craving or like stressing yourself out about healthy eating habits and potentially getting a little bit of weight it's like if that makes you feel better and it doesn't stress you out it's going to actually have probably less effect on your overall weight, let alone happiness than actually in the skills, you know? Um, and that's why I think that's so important. And that's, and I think that's why Warren Buffett's lived so long. Yep. Bring it back full circle because, you know, maybe you take, maybe eating the healthiest food and being on a diet and eating constructed meals of just basic macros, like stressed him out. And like he lived an extra 30 years because he just and ate McDonald's every morning and loved it, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Right. Um, Okay, so we're definitely doing a part two. That's 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 where we'll we'll figure that out sometime in the next few months. I I'm also thinking about combining guests with other guests that might not seem like like the the obvious combination, but they turn into beautiful combinations. Um, so I'll 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 pull you into there because I think there's someone that that you should talk to. Um, 
and we can talk about that offline right after this. I already started recording because I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to promise it to anyone. <laughs> and have it. But uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug or share with the audience before uh, we stop recording? So two things. First of all, like um, I just put back up on. I actually put on Spotify the songs from the original TED Talk. I, I would highly encourage people to. If they want to look more into how I'm thinking about creativity, and that's actually a little bit outdated. Uh, the TED Talk I gave last year, uh, which is Human Plus Machine Isn't the Future, It's the Present. Um, and mm-hmm. if you find it on Spotify, like as Abundant Sound, you can listen to that. And there's one book mm-hmm. that I wish that everyone read. So if you're ever struggling to sure. get out of a rut, like not sponsored in any way, but the founder of DuckDuckGo mm-hmm. and his wife published a book called Super Thinking. So it's um, Gabriel Weinberg, and it really gives you, it's it's an encyclopedia of mental models. And okay. that is one of the, the best tools I've had um, to get myself out of a hole in terms of like just cognition. Like, so it has- Yeah, super thinking, the big book of mental models. Exactly. Cool. It's, and, and the best way, the, the best thing about it is that the book is written in a way that you can just open up and you'll have a new mental model. And if you're Reference struggling with it. any problem, cool. just yeah, just try to think about it from a different mental model and it, it'll open up so many doors. And I think it's Correct. it's one of the, just having awareness of different mental models is one of mm-hmm. the best tools to build resilience for how to navigate Agreed. an accelerating future. So I just wanted to put that out okay. there as like, if people really, really, really are worried about AI, and all this technology coming in, like just improve the way you think about things. Yeah, and my and my book to you, and I'm I'm gonna, I'm telling that right now to read um, is uh, if you haven't read the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, you should read that. It'll it'll it's it's basically like I'm, I don't know if you've heard him talk before or heard his speaking, but he is uh, fascinating and just a walking mental model, I would say. And the book is uh, a couple of his ardent followers put together like he's only given you know a handful of talks and and blog posts and and interviews but they're basically just broken down into healthy happy and wise i know sorry happy happy healthy and wealthy so those three categories and it just i reread it often because it just kind of it unlocks me again it's just like oh yeah this guy gets it and he's and he's a fascinating dude um but cool um thank you so much for your time uh thank you for having me this was a blast uh, so much fun. <laughs> and uh, to everyone listening, you're going to hear my voice in the outro right about now. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Pedro Ruiz. You can find Pedro on Instagram at the Pedro Ruiz and by Googling his name spelled the way you think it is. As always, you can find me online at Rob Auchincloss or at robislost.com. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Goodbye.